I'm a small business owner of sorts. Um, technically, I'm a contractor. I get a, a collection of 1099s at the end of every year, and I file my taxes under that. Um, so this whole plague thing has been interesting because supposedly the federal government is giving away all sorts of money to small businesses. And I say a small business of sorts because I don't have employees. It's just me. Uh, I'm a business of one. And ostensibly for the current rules for economic disaster relief and you know the the much lauded 2.2 trillion dollar package the government passed even i even lowly little me can apply for grants and easily forgivable low interest loans except that those don't actually exist when you look into it. These loans are gone. The money's gone. That money is fucking gone. The $2.2 trillion has gone. And it's interesting because they'll say $2.2 trillion and they made a big deal in the news about like, oh, you know, for small businesses and independent contractors, like you can apply. And it sounded great. And I did apply for a couple different programs. And I actually did get an economic disaster relief grant. I actually got it deposited into my account. The whole thousand dollars. <laughs> when I was pretty much told I was going to get a $10,000 grant. That's basically what we were all led to believe. Like, and that was the minimum. Like you're at least going to get a $10,000 grant just to keep you guys afloat and then then you can apply for loans on top of that but it turns out <laughs> they ran out of money way quick and everybody who actually managed to apply you're getting a thousand dollars per employee and since I'm a business of one I get one thousand dollars and you get a thousand dollars per employee employee up to 10 employees and then that's it so if you're a small business with five employees you get five thousand dollars that you can give a thousand dollars each to each of your employees which helps no one basically that's not even that's a little more than half my rent and i have a small place in the city <laughs> So two po and then when you dig into the numbers deeper, this is what's interesting. So there was a $2.2 trillion relief package. But only about $450 billion of that was set aside for the Small Business Administration and for, you know, for helping out businesses like me. But then we were also sharing that with hospitals and states. And so that was like $450 billion dollars. Not, I don't even, you know, what, maybe a hundred billion small business administration. And it's all that, that money 
is supposed to be for businesses with 500, fewer than 500 employees. And it turns out lots of other businesses like Shake Shack and some other big chain who clearly have way more than 500 employees were already getting loans and grants from this particular fund that was set aside just for small businesses and independent contractors. Um, so the money ran out quick <laughs> because most of the money did not go to who it was intended for people like me, other larger businesses, um, slightly larger businesses, but still technically a small business who really, you know, I'm don't, I'm not gonna suck my own dick here, but you know, that's kind of living the American dream. <laughs> you start your little business from the ground up. That's kind of the American way. As far as it was taught to me when I was a young little Patrick Fury. <laughs> but it turns out it's actually the the deck is kind of stacked against you if you want to like start a business. I kind of learned that the hard way. Like you pay way more taxes. Um there's lots of other associated fees and through the city, through the federal government, through the state, wherever, like they really nickel and down the shit out of you just to have, you know, like a business license and legal protection and insurance and things like it really. And if you're a larger corporation, you can really, you can hire some lawyers to really like basically sweep those numbers aside so they don't affect you. But, you know, when you're a one man operation, you don't really have those resources. Uh, but the benefit is you, you know, no one's telling you what to do. You know, you're your own boss. So it's just kind of a trade-off. Are you willing to pay for that? Um, you know, and you have to provide your own benefits and health care and all that. And, you know, but all that is definitely worth it. It's not, once you learn how to do it, it's actually not that difficult. There's just, uh, there's a bit of a steep learning curve in the beginning, which can be a little daunting. But once you get everything set up, it pretty much takes care of itself. And then you can just worry about your business and your schedule. Um, but <laughs> it's like poker. America's like a poker game. If you've got a large set of chips, the game is easier. Because you have more resources to kind of bully the other players around. So, you know, when you have a small business, you're always kind of you're always kind of playing as if you're at the table with a with a short stack of chips, uh, which just means you have to play smarter, um, a little more conservatively. Uh, yeah. So where'd that money go? That's my question. Where? <laughs> so let's set aside the the four to fifty billion dollars that was supposed to go to small businesses. Where's the other $1.8 billion of the $2.2 trillion? Where, where did that money go to? <laughs> I kind of know the answer. Uh, I read a couple articles, something about stock buybacks, which is basically, uh, you know, basically why... Yeah, this this plague has revealed how weak the basic 
financial infrastructure of the United States is. Like, when the economy's great, the numbers look high. You know, everybody pretends the country's going great. You know, meanwhile, people in Flint don't have clean water. But who cares about that? You know, the NASDAQ is high. But, uh, yeah, once something like this happens, it really just, like, you know, crumbles hard because those numbers aren't based on anything. And the numbers aren't based on anything is because all this supposed ocean of money and capital that exists out there is really just large corporations using their profits to buy back their own stocks, to inflate their stock prices, to please their own shareholders. And that money is not used for infrastructure or technological development or research or any other great things that, you know, help, you know, rising tide lifts all ships. That doesn't exist. There is no rising tide. That water is just leaking away. So this is interesting. I doubt anything will change, you know, once uh, things start inching back to normal. Because they sure as shit didn't change after the the 2007-2008 financial crisis. It was pretty much just business as usual. Um, And you really realize, like, this really exposes what a kleptocracy America is. Like, capitalism is... This is not capitalism. This is... Big corporations, the guys with the big stack of chips, taking huge risks with their big stack of chips. And when they lose it all, the guys with small chips bail them out collectively through our tax dollars. So big risks and then, but it's not really a risk because the government's going to bail you out with my money. So, not that I'm expecting, yeah. And here's the thing, too. This is where, like, the idea of being an American is interesting. Like, it's sort of accepting a government handout. And whether you're left or right, it it doesn't really matter. Like, it's, you know, we are not a socialist country. So, accepting a government handout seems weird. You know, it's like you're on welfare. You're taking food stamps. You're You're the... You're the much vilified welfare queen. But really, it's like this is an interesting situation because it's kind of our patriotic duty to take as much money from the government as we can and then spend it to inject it back into the economy. Like, and an oversimplified scenario of the situation, like we need to get money moving again. So it's kind of like, you know, I'm a hero for taking a government handout. <laughs> give me the grants. Give me the, the forgivable loans. I'm going to go spend a bunch of money and go shopping and get that money moving back in the circulation, and that's going to prop the economy back up again. It's sort of, you know, I'm a hero. Anybody who takes a government now, who takes a government handout now, is an American hero. You're like, You're like a war hero. You're like congressional economic medal of freedom (laughs) we should all get (laughs) but uh yeah it turns out that money isn't really coming to us i don't know where it went and supposedly 
I don't think Trump signed yet. Maybe he did. But they were they ran out of money for the small business thing. So they were like, all right, so we're going to do another $500 billion because we had so many people apply. Like they didn't think how many people everyone's going to apply. They had so many applications that uh, now we're going to put another $500 billion in so we can get more money out there. But it's not. It's not going to help anybody who hasn't applied yet because applications are closed. And this, this is really what's been pissing me off this week. I've gotten at least a dozen, maybe 20 emails from just various, various people or organizations I'm kind of affiliated with sending me lots of helpful videos and links to, oh, this is... This is how you should apply for an economic disaster grant. And, oh, this is, these are the pros and cons of the Paycheck Protection Program. And all of them are sending out these emails and sending out videos, and they want me to watch their videos. And, hey, click, click subscribe. If you like this video, click subscribe. And, you know, ostensibly telling me that they're trying to help me apply for all these government loans and grants which is very nice except they stopped accepting applications almost a month ago <laughs> like these videos and links are garbage now it's too late it's too late for that shit what are you go fuck yourself you're not you're not helping me you're not my friend if you knew what the fuck you were talking about you can go to the small business administration website and see right at the top they said Due to a lack of appropriations, we are not accepting new applications anymore. Any existing applications will be addressed on a first-come, first-served basis, which means that if Trump ever does sign this latest $500 billion economic relief package, that that money is going to the people who've already applied and are waiting for money. Anybody who hasn't signed up yet, you're fucked. And I'm kind of fucked because I signed up for one... But it turned out I signed up for the wrong one. <laughs> but there was no way to know that because nobody knew really what the difference was. So I should have signed up for both. And I would have signed up for both. Except right when everything shut down, one of the doctors I was working for, she was trying to get her business online. And she was kind of pushing me to like produce a lot of video content for like, I'm like a neuromuscular therapist. So it's basically like fancy pants exercises to fix your muscles and joints. And normally I do this in person, but you know, and I put hands on people, but nobody's really into doing that right now. <laughs> it's a little too close for contact. So we're trying to develop how to do it online just to help a lot of people who are just sitting at home broken, have serious like muscular and skeletal issues, trying to get them, you know, somewhat healthy while they're stuck at home because they can't really have anybody come in and fix them. So we're trying to get this whole thing online. And I was like, okay, you know, I want to, I want to be a team player, I guess, so I'll do some stuff. And that took up pretty much a week to make this transition when I really should have just told her to fuck off and signed up for more government aid because it turned out her on, her fancy online thing was not popular. So it made no money. So now 
it's lesson learned. Lesson learned. Next pandemic, next big emergency. You're on your own. You motherfuckers are on your own. <laughs> I'm taking care of myself first, and then I might help. But next time, no. I'm like, I got to get my ducks in a row. I did get $1,000, though, I guess. <laughs> when I'm pretty sure I could have gotten a $50,000 forgivable loan, which is basically a grant through the Paycheck Protection Program. I don't know how much I could have gotten, but it would have been nice. But I should be all right. I'm, um, I'm not bitter. <laughs> I'm in a better place for this economic meltdown than I was during the uh, 2008 economic meltdown. That was a rough time. And uh, it's nice to know that I did learn some lessons then and... I, I've got a bit of money set aside that I can I can live for a few months without making much money, and uh, I'll be okay. I'll at least be able to feed myself and pay my rent for a few months. You know, I'm not uh, I'm not aggressively paying down my student loans like I was planning, but what are you gonna do? Uh, I did learn a few lessons in the last decade, <laughs> but seriously, fuck. Fuck you, all of you, sending out your helpful how to apply for government aid emails three weeks too late. Who the fuck do you think you're like? <laughs> and really, it's funny because now it's like, and I know it's all they, it's their individual intent, all of these people, it's their individual intent to drive more traffic to their sites, to their Instagram, to get more followers or to get more likes or subscribers to their YouTube videos or whatever, all in the guise of helping or assisting other people through this tumultuous rough time. But it's all bullshit. And I wouldn't, I, I, I respect a cold sociopathic calculated scam. But these aren't even that, because what really annoys me is that these motherfuckers really think they're helping people. They're like, I'm going to get more traffic to my site. People are going to hit subscribe. I'm going to get more followers. I'm going to get some advertising dollars. And I'm helping people. That's what annoys me, is they think they're helping people when really they're wasting people's time. Like my time, a couple days ago, I got another one of these emails and I'm perfectly happy working one or two hours a day if that and spending the rest of my day playing video games I'm having a great fucking time it's like I'm good for money I don't need to scramble I'm gonna make my rent for the next couple months I'm gonna have enough to eat assuming the grocery store has food so I'm just gonna kind of relax Stop busting my ass so much and have a nice little reset and I'll be nice. It's just an extended staycation, basically. I'm going to be nice and refreshed for when we all start going back to work again and then I'll be ready to get down to business and be truly productive again. But for now, let me take a month off. Let me take two months off. 
and just relax, play a lot of video games, not really make plans for the future, not worry about where I'm going to be in five years, not worry about a career or retirement, just kind of accept that a lot of the world is beyond my control and then chill, watch some TV, watch some movies, play a lot of fucking video games, which is mostly what I'm doing. And then I get a fucking email from some well-meaning douche nozzle, some fucking asshat that tells me like, oh, I should apply for this government grant. And then I'm like, eh, I will in a minute. I'm playing my game now. And then it's, then that little fucking, that little leech, that little parasite they planted is in my fucking brain. And I'm trying to enjoy my video game, but I'm thinking, there's something better I could be doing right now. I, I could be applying for a, a disaster loan, or I could be applying for a grant. I don't know, what if those, this goes on for a year, and six months from now, it's like, I, I can't pay my rent. And then I'm really fucked, and I'm living off of tuna and ramen, and I'll be thinking, why did I play so many video games when I could have been applying for assistance or something? And then I'll stop. I'll, I'll pause the video game. I might even turn it off. And then I'll grab my laptop and go online and see where is this application for this particular government loan I can get. And then I find out it doesn't exist. They stopped accepting applications three and a half weeks ago. And I could have not had that fucking momentary anxiety and I could have enjoyed my fucking video game except for these fucking assholes trying to drive traffic to their site. Go fuck yourself. Let me play my fucking game. <laughs> you pieces of shit. Pieces of shit. What is this world where we're all obsessed over subscribers and likes and followers? That being said, if you're enjoying this nonsensical rant so far, why don't you take half a second and press that subscribe button on whatever platform you're listening to this on, whether it's iTunes or Spotify, whatever. That'd be great if you could do that. Fuck all those other assholes, though. Fuck all those other assholes. I am in a better place, though, than I was a decade ago. Um, I guess that was... Right around 2007, I was getting out of grad school. And uh, right out of grad school, fresh with my newly printed Master of Fine Arts in Creative Writing diploma with the ink still wet, which is already, you know, as everyone knows or should know, is a piece of shit, fucking useless degree, <laughs> and nothing. And then, as soon as I get out of grad school, the housing bubble bursts. No one is hiring anywhere. I can't get a job to save my life. I I can't. I could get a couple interviews, and that was annoying too. That's another way people waste your time, and I bet that's probably going on for some people right now. Like some people are kind of like. Maybe they lost their job and they're trying to find a new job. They're scrambling and they're like, they weren't quite prepared. And then you're filling out all these 
you know, resume, cover letter, job applications online. You're just spending all this time. You could be relaxing and chilling. You can't. It's not a vacation because you're anxious. You're anxious about the future. It's unsettling. And then you might even get an interview. You might even like get a hit. And they say, hey, we like you on paper. Why don't you come in for an interview? And and then I'm sure all these companies, corporations, or whoever is doing now what they did to me 10 years ago is they bring you in for a fucking interview. And you have a good interview. And then they tell you, oh, well, uh, so we're not really hiring right now. We're, we're just seeing what's out there for when things like start picking up again. And you realize like... They just wasted three days to a week of your time of you preparing for this interview of you writing a perfect cover letter, you getting your resume all together. And I did probably four or five of these interviews. You go in and then, and sometimes they'll bring you back for a follow-up interview and even a third interview. And then it's always, yeah, we're not really hiring right now. We're just kind of looking to see what's out there. And you don't know if they're telling the truth or you don't know if they just decide they don't like you or they're going with somebody else. I always thought it was they were telling the truth because normally if they bring you in for an interview or two and they don't hire you, they just don't call you again. It's just kind of a don't call us, we'll call you thing. And then you don't hear from them and you're like, oh, I guess they went with somebody else. But then when they tell you in the room, oh, we're not really hiring yet. We're just seeing what our options are for when we do start hiring. And you're like, great. You just wasted a week of my time. <laughs> like, and they get away with that shit. It's absurd. Because everybody who's going there wants a job. Yeah, it's ridiculous. It's crazy. Um, I'm sure that's happening right now. It's got to be because nothing changes. Thankfully, now, I don't have to do that shit. Hopefully, hopefully I won't have to do it in the future, but yeah, like now I don't have to do that shit. I think I'm pretty good because as soon as like the stay at home orders relax a bit, I'm going to be getting all my old patients and clients back. So it's not like I need a new job. We're just kind of taking a break and they're all going to be pretty broken and be wanting to get fixed. And I think a lot of them are going to start coming back. If not in May, definitely by sometime in June. So I'm pretty... 90% confident that's going to happen. So I'm enjoying this hiatus way more than I was when I got out of grad school and I had student loans due and I was dangerously underemployed. And all of my skills were either not marketable or way out of date. <laughs> so, yeah, so I got out of grad school and it was pretty, I had never known what anxiety was. Like, I'd never really been anxious before. I'm not. I'm not an anxious person. I don't really suffer from anxiety. Um, like, I was in the Army for nine years. I was in a special operations unit for five years. I've been all over the Middle East. You know, all sorts of hazardous fire, imminent danger zones, bullets flying. And I never really had definitely moments of fear maybe you know almost panic but I'd never really had that that long grinding 
kind of low-grade anxiety until I got out of grad school and I got my first bill for my student loans, and it was 2008. Nobody was hiring for anything. Nobody, Definitely nobody was hiring a fucking creative writer. <laughs> that's a fucking, that's a luxury. No one's hiring for that shit. Um, even if I'd had a real degree, nobody, you know, nobody would have been hiring for that. If I had a finance degree, nobody would have been hiring. If I had like an economics or physics, I probably couldn't have got a job. But definitely not with my bullshit creative writing degree that I spent 50000 dollars on. So, yeah, so that, that I'm not, ha- I don't have that. Because I remember I got, I got my first bill for my student loans because they defer it six months. And I was like, all right, in six months, I'll have a job. But then six months went by and I didn't really have a job. I was kind of working a little bit, but I didn't have like a steady gig. Um, and then I got that first bill and I actually broke out in hives. Like I didn't really know, but I just like getting a little panic attack, a little anxiety attack, start breathing hard. My heart starts racing. And then like my skin, it gets like hot and itchy and like prickly. Like, uh, like I walk through, uh, I don't know if you've never been to the Southwest, you're not familiar, but like. They have tumbleweeds. So the tumbleweeds are actually these dead bushes that they just kind of separate from the ground. And they, uh, you know, the wind blows them across. And that's what they call, you know, their tumbleweed. And if you've ever seen a Western, you've seen, you know, the tumbleweed. But before those plants die, they're like these green kind of stingy bushes with like needles on them, almost like pine needles. And uh, if you walk, I was out, I lived in Arizona for a little bit when I was a kid. And then when I'd run out in the desert, just playing out in the desert, catching snakes and scorpions and tarantulas and shit, like if you weren't careful, you'd like stumble through some of these green little bushy things, which didn't look that bad, but they had these little like little needles, like a little, not thorns, but like little pine needle type things, but those would scratch you. And then I guess they had a little bit of toxin or something because then they would be like really itchy for about 30 seconds and then it would go away. But it felt like that, just kind of like I'd walk through this bush and then like I just like itchy, stingy. That's what it felt like just from getting my first student loan bill. <laughs> and then uh, then I laughed at myself. I'm like, what has happened? I'm like, oh, this is ang- this is what everyone in my life is talking about. This anxiety. I never really had anxiety before that. I don't really suffer from it now much. I'm not. But I've had moments, and that was probably my first real, and it was pretty awful. I mean, it was it was a good couple of years before I was like breaking even, like making enough where I thought I had a little breathing room. I'm like, oh, okay, I don't have to worry about making the rent next year or next month, rather. Um, and that sucks. That's because there's nothing you can point to. It's not like, oh, there's a lion. I got to run. There's just this nameless formless nebulous thing out there that you can't really point to but it's just giving you that low grade like tough to sleep your mind is always racing you're just in in kind of like this survival mode 
Uh, yeah, so hopefully, and I'm better prepared now, so, um, and I think I'm in a better situation now where that won't happen again, but fuck all of you sending me your not helpful emails, <laughs> giving me a little glimpse of that feeling again. Just let me play my fucking video game. Just let me enjoy being a lazy piece of shit. I'm government ordered to be a lazy piece of shit right now. And I'm going to keep doing it until June. And then if things haven't picked up by June, then I'll start looking into more options. I guess I'll have to do more online appointments, which are the worst. I hate doing an online appointment. I didn't learn how to fix people to spend all day in front of a computer. Like I was actively trying to avoid working in front of a computer all day, sitting at a desk. Uh, but, you know, I guess you got to do what you got to fucking do. So, yeah, and I was working a little bit back then, back 2008, because um, I'd been doing a little defense contracting, like, part-time. Um, because that was a nice little gig while I was in undergrad and grad school. Because I could pretty much like work whenever I want. I'd make somewhere between like eighty to one hundred twenty bucks an hour. So, like, if I put together ten or twenty hours of work a month, like that was pretty good. Because I was getting you know Pell grants and I was living off student loans and I had like veterans benefits for school and I had a little disability money. So I was getting enough money. Definitely while I was in school, but then once I stopped getting that school money and I wasn't getting the veterans educational benefits anymore, and then also that defense contracting work started dying down because after the, uh, there was a lot of it going on during the Bush years of the surge, so around like 2005, 2005-ish to maybe middle 2007, and then, uh, Definitely once Obama got elected, uh, we started winding down from Iraq and Afghanistan. And then that uh, that government spigot that was in full force, it was like a fire hydrant of money going to defense contractors, like that started drying up. And then I, back then I worked for a, a couple little boutique defense contracting companies that were basically just, you know, siphoning money from the taxpayer and offering little in return. Uh, and I didn't particularly like the work, you know, I would, I didn't want to keep doing that sort of stuff. Like, and, and I didn't want to be around like ex military people or ex government people anymore. Cause it was like, you know, I was over that world. I was into doing artsy shit like writing and theater. Um, and it, it did annoy, I didn't really work in an office much, for that defense contracting stuff, but the few times when I did have to go into the office to, for a briefing or to talk to like students, I just kind of like, I got to go through and listen to all these lame Obama jokes every time. It was like, <laughs> it's like, that's my really one of my few kind of gripes with concern. And these were all like Bush era Republicans. Like Trump wasn't even a, well, Trump was a thing, but not like he is now. But, those conservatives from that era were just not funny. They all thought they were funny. They were not funny. So I was all up for a good liberal joke or a good 
Obama joke, but they were never good. So it was just kind of lame. And they always ask me what church I go to. <laughs> I'm like, <laughs> like you realize, like we're responsible for the deaths, probably allegedly responsible for the deaths of lots of children in the Middle East, if nothing else, than through starvation. And you're asking me what church I go to. <laughs> Get the fuck out of here. <laughs> uh, yeah, so I didn't love that kind of work, but it, it was nice when I was in grad school because it definitely, like, the money was good and it was very flexible. But then that started drying up. And then all these kind of kind of bullshit boutique defense contracting companies, they all started, like, they weren't getting contracts anymore because that money was drying up from the government. So they all sold out to the evil empire, which is companies like DynCorp, Booz Allen. And then suddenly, without me doing anything, I was like a W-2 employee of DynCorp for a little bit. And I was like, I didn't, I didn't want to work for these guys. Why am I? But just the company, the couple little companies I worked for sold out to DynCorp. And suddenly, like, DynCorp is on my ass trying to get me to come in for, like, ethics briefings. And I have to watch sexual harassment videos. And I'm like, get the fuck out of here. I, I don't need an ethics briefing. You're the motherfuckers who've been stealing money from the taxpayer for decades. You need the ethics briefing. <laughs> the only reason you're running this ethics briefing is because you motherfuckers were stealing money. And this is part of the deal you worked out with Congress is that, oh, now your employees have to watch these ethics videos. Your employees weren't stealing money. Your fucking CEOs were stealing money. I'm not watching the goddamn ethics briefing. Uh, so I told them I quit. <laughs> like, fuck you guys. And they weren't paying me anyway. It's like they had no work for me. It's kind of like that was part of the deal as they had to bring me on. So, and I was, you know, so I wasn't definitely, I don't know, somehow I was getting a W-2, but I didn't have a salary. Because I would still, I was like an hourly worker. So I'd have to log in hours and they just had no work. You know, all those contracts that I used to work on, they were gone. So I don't know. I'm like, well, I'm not coming in every week for an ethics briefing. But you're going to pay me $15 an hour to watch a video. Like, I got shit to do. I didn't really have shit to do, but I was trying to make up shit to do. And then, so I had lots of free time to worry about my future and that's the point when I really realized that America had a class system because I had no idea before it wasn't a I don't know I grew up a military brat in Germany in Berlin so kind of like Everyone I knew was paid by the taxpayer. They were all military or, you know, State Department or, like, nobody. I never met anybody who, who owned a business until I was in my 20s. <laughs> like, everyone around me my whole life, we were basically socialists or communists. Like, we just worked for the government. Um, so, where was I going with that? I don't remember where I was going with that. Oh, yeah. So... It was scary. Finally, I'm out of school. I'm not getting, I'm not getting my veterans benefits anymore. I'm not getting money for school. So now I'm on my own. Now I'm at the mercy 
of American capitalism and I got to sink or swim. And I was looking into all sorts of jobs. First, I was looking for jobs I could get with writing. I'm like, well, I have this writing degree. What jobs do writer do? Do writers do? And I was looking at all kinds of things like advertising, marketing, like copywriting. Because um, I was a little, you know, I, I had romanticized being a writer, you know, reading guys like Fitzgerald and Hemingway, where these guys would like, while they're writing their novel, they would like write copy for Gillette or something like that. And this is like back in the, you know, 20s and 30s or even later on in the 50s, 60s. Um, like Mad Men advertising days. And this was before the show Mad Men came out, but I remember uh, I'd got a bunch of books from Amazon about advertising, and I'm like, well, maybe I'll be a copywriter, and then I'll worry about writing my my plays or my novels or whatever the hell I'm going to write. Right now i got to make money, so let's make money writing. Um, so I, I read a bunch of books on guys like Ogilvy, you know, like the old school, like the real mad men, the real Madison Avenue ad guys. And they had lots of great stories about how they got into advertising. And I'm like, oh, that sounds cool. And then a couple weeks into it, I realized like, oh no, that world doesn't exist anymore. Like if you want to, if you want to work as a copywriter for an advertising agency now, like that's like trying to make it in Hollywood. Like that's its own system. Like little kids dream about writing toilet paper, writing the the best toilet paper commercial, and they'll spend their whole childhood and college and everything like trying to get one of these coveted copywriting jobs for a big advertising agency. And I'm like, I'm not doing that. I didn't. This was supposed to be like a like a nothing job until I, you know, make it as a as an artsy writer. Which is what all the old school <laughs> Madison Avenue guys pretty much were. Like they did the same thing. Or somebody like Fitzgerald or, or Hemingway, they might write copy just to like, you know, get a $50 check while they're writing, you know, Farewell to Arms. Um, so that idea was that. Then I thought maybe I'd work for a magazine. Maybe I could do like editing or something like that. And I started looking into magazine work and. You know, I found out what Condé Nast was and like these huge conglomerate magazine companies where all these other magazines are all under this umbrella of like Condé Nast or a couple other like big magazine publishing companies. And then I go on their big websites looking at whatever entry level jobs I can do. And they're all in New York and they all pay $18,000 a year. And I'm like, who the fuck can get these jobs? Like, this doesn't, nobody get a, what, how am I going to move to New York and live off of $18,000 a year? Like, there's no way. Who's going to do that? I was already like, I wasn't like 18 either. This wasn't some like, I'm moving to the big city and I'm going to get, live in a shitty apartment with lots of roommates. Like, I was already 30, 31 at this point. Like, those days were behind me. Uh, And I'm not. I'm not going to live in poverty to work at a fucking magazine. That's not. Fuck that. So finally I was like, I don't understand like who can get these jobs. And then I remember I emailed one of my uh, professors and I just kind of asked like, Hey, I don't, I don't know if you have any connection to this stuff, but I was just curious. Like I'm, I'm looking at jobs to be a writer 
Um, what what's going on with these publishing gigs? And that not even just like magazines, but if I wanted to work for Simon and Schuster or something like that, like a book publishing company, it was all the same shit. They're all in New York. Um, and uh, they're all you know, if you're a copy editor or whatever, or an editor's assistant, anything where you start at the bottom. It's all eighteen to twenty-two thousand dollars a year working in New York, and I'm like, who, who do they get to get these jobs? What, what? And then the guy, the professor, had explained to me. He's like, those are rich kid jobs. <laughs> like that's not for you. If your parent, if you don't have a trust fund, that job is not for you. Those jobs are solely for children of millionaires who don't actually have to make a living. Their parents are gonna get them an apartment. They don't pay for shit. The $18,000 that they get is like a joke. And I go, oh, well, that's not fair. Why Why can't I get that job? Why do I have to have been born royalty, basically, just to fucking edit copy at a fucking stupid magazine? Like, what a, yeah, that was my first introduction to the American class system, which was interesting when right around when Trump was getting elected. And then uh, privilege became a big insult. Um, and right away, like the first time I heard the term white privilege was probably, uh, I don't know, around the year or the year before Trump got elected. Like right around the, you know, uh, right around when probably the Republican race was going on and they were deciding who. I think that's the first time I heard the term white privilege. And right away I was like, oh, I get that. Oh, yeah, that's definitely a thing. I get that. Um, and then I thought about it more and I'm not going to get into white privilege really, um, much. <laughs> I'm going to avoid that fucking viper's nest. But, uh, that really, that, that term made a lot of sense to me because about, you know, seven or eight years prior, I had run into that, like that idea of privilege. Like I I can't just, I can't even apply for a job at a magazine. It's like, even if I got the job, I can't, I can't afford to move there and take that job that I, I don't even want the job. I just kind of was looking for anything I could use do with my shitty degree. And I realized like, Oh, the degree I had gotten, I was not actually born with enough privilege to get that degree. <laughs> I'd really, and I knew I was, I was not, a, I, I knew getting into it that getting a creative writing degree was not going to pay for it. You know, that was not a money-making degree. But, you know, I was just getting out of the army. I'd spent most of my whole life, like, in a structure, doing what other people wanted me to do, not really doing what I wanted to do or pursuing what I really wanted to pursue. So once I got out of the army, I said, fuck that shit. I'm going to do what I want to do, and I'm not going to worry about the consequences too much. So I just got into a bunch of artsy shit that I'd always wanted to do. And uh, I indulged myself in a stupid degree that really taught me nothing. Like, if if you're on the fence about applying to a creative writing program, don't do it. Like, not at a university level. It's fucking garbage. They just steal your money. Um, there are good writing programs. They're not affiliated with any university. It's it's find a, a professional writing course I took a great one that was online it was a professional tv film writing course online it was not too expensive 
And that's what really taught me how to write properly, how to write stories, which I use now to write jokes for comedy. It's because it's the same principle. A joke is just a tiny little story, but it's got the same elements in it. Um, fuck creative writing programs. They're a fucking scam. They're just a scam perpetrated by the university to make money off of mostly older women who want to write their memoirs one day. That's basically all. And some young 18-year-olds who really want to be writers but who've never actually lived life. That was my experience. <laughs> and one or two people like me who'd actually been some places and seen some shit and done some shit and been like, hmm, let's write, let's write some stories about this stuff now. There weren't very many of us. Most were either old ladies who wanted to write their memoirs but who's really had lived a boring life for 60, 70 years and nobody would ever want to read your fucking memoir or fucking 18-year-olds who wanted to be writers, but it's like, you haven't lived enough. You have nothing to write about. Um, yeah, just take take an online course. Find one that, you know, has good recommendations. And if you don't like it, that's cool. If you don't learn anything, but you will not spend nearly the time and money as on a university program that is just straight garbage. But where does I go with that? Oh, yeah, so I was not... You know, I was not under the illusion that somehow I deserved a job just because I got a, a bullshit degree. I knew I was getting a bullshit degree, but I was having a great time doing it. Um, but I didn't really know that uh, some jobs, not everybody, not every American can do any job, even if they have the aptitude for it. Like, there, there definitely is a level of privilege for some things that, you know, mom, basically mommy and daddy have to, have to help you. <laughs> mommy and daddy have to pay for you to do your job. <laughs> basically it's your, your entry level job at this magazine is subsidized by mommy and daddy because that magazine is not actually going to pay you any money to do your job. Um, and this was all really foreign to me. I didn't really, I'd never really been around this before or come into contact with it. Because, again, I grew up military. I grew up basically communist. And I grew up, military is interesting because it's basically a communist organization. But nobody in it actually knows that because we're all defending democracy and freedom. Even though, and capitalism, also capitalism, democracy, freedom, capitalism, but none of us really know what those things are because we've never experienced them in our own lives. We've never experienced democracy in the military or definitely not capitalism and not freedom. You don't get any of those things in the military. But somehow these are still big concepts that you're, you're very passionate about for some reason. <laughs> but you don't know anything. You don't actually know what they are until you're shat out of the ass end of your university out into the cold, hard world, and you're like, oh, capitalism is a, it's kind of scary. <laughs> kind of scary. Uh, yeah. So, capitalism? Capitalism's scary. Um, it's also great, though, once you start actually making a bit of money. Although, 
then you have these times when you're not making money. Although what's interesting is that my girlfriend, uh, my girlfriend's Persian. She's from Iran. And uh, her sister lives in Holland with her fiance, I think. I think they're getting married. Um, and it's interesting because what I hear from some people I know in Europe, where they are supposedly more socialist, you would expect their governments to give out more, I guess, more handouts to help support their economies and, and their people who are out of work. They are not doing that at all. They're, they're, so it's like they're not giving anybody any money. Any, Holland's, they're not even, Holland's not even take, doing any like distancing shit. I guess Holland doesn't give a fuck. <laughs> Holland's like, we're not going to change the way we live. Like, if you get sick, you get sick. Fuck you. <laughs> Which I kind of respect. I mean, this is interesting how in America we've shut down the whole country to save maybe a couple hundred thousand people. I think the worst case scenario in America was 200,000 people might die. So we got collectively... 375 million people to shut down for 200,000. It's interesting. And I and it's already starting to come apart. Um definitely we could do it for a month. I think by the end of May these uh you know, there's some conservative groups now who are like you know, sort of organizing protests against stay-at-home orders. Um which is kind of funny. But I think in another month, liberals are going to be doing it too. Like no, most people, I'm, I'm happy staying at home. But most people are not. Most people need to get out and do shit. They can't really be cooped up in their house all day. So I give it maybe another month before people start really fraying at the edges. We'll see. Um, yeah. I guess that was my experience for 2008. It was pretty rough. Oh, yeah, I guess that's how... Yeah, so eventually... Eventually, I had to do personal training. Because... <laughs> and that's how I got into what I'm doing now. But uh, I had a roommate at the time. She was really cool. Um, she was like a per- she was a personal trainer at Gold's. And then, uh, you know, I worked out. I was, in, I was in the military. I was like, I can do that job. Which was really dumb at the time to like, (laughs) let me be a personal trainer right in the beginning and middle of an economic crisis when, and ask people to give up disposable income so I can make them nauseous and do things they don't want to (laughs) do, like in retrospect. But that was kind of my only option. So I'm like, well, I can do personal training and she works at this Gold's down the street. So, um... Let me just get my, I'll just get my little personal training certification and start making money doing that, which was a horrible idea. (laughs) It's the dumbest idea, but it was really the only option I had. So I did it. I I got my stupid, you know, personal training certification, which is practically worthless. It's basically a certification saying, you don't know what you're doing, but you're probably not going to kill anybody. So... And then I got a job at the Golds. The girl got me a job at the Golds, which is nice of her. 
and I wiped down a lot of machines, and I tried to talk to a lot of people to get clients, which I was not good at because I'm an introvert. I am not. I am not. Uh, I was. I was not the mayor of Golds walking around. <laughs> shaking everybody's hands kissing babies that is not really in my skill set even now like i kind of learned how to do it over a while, over time because i had to to eat but um it definitely does not come natural naturally to me and i do not love it thankfully i don't really have to do that anymore um and i got fired after a week at gold's because i did not sell any training it was really a, that was another waste of my time um yeah, fucking golds. That's when I realized, like, as, well, that was my first introduction to the bullshit world of, of the fitness industry. I realized, like, oh, this personal training certification, not only was the personal training certification useless because the information is that you get is pretty much nonsense, but also it doesn't even prepare you to be a personal trainer. Because if you really want to be successful as a personal trainer, you don't need to know shit about training. You need to sell. You're basically a, a salesman. And you got to sell people on training, on supplement, especially if you work at a place like Gold's. you got to sell them on training, supplement, because they worked on commission. So I would get a, if I'd been successful there, I'd have got a commission by selling anything that this club offered. So they had like a tanning salon. So if I told a, sold a tanning salon session as a personal trainer, I would get a commission from that. I'd get a commission from T-shirts, protein powder, power bars, supplements, and personal training sessions. Um, that's what they were looking for was a fucking salesman. And that is not what your personal training certification remotely prepares you how to do. Um, it should just be a sales class. <laughs> like... Uh, but there are no real great sales classes. Like people are just good salesmen or they're not. And you can learn how to be a better salesman. And I eventually I did, I don't even know if I learned how to be a better salesman because eventually I did get it about a year later. I went back and I did personal training at another place that was a little less sales oriented, a little more training oriented, but, um, and I was able to make it work there and figure it out. But really you're the best salesman was when you don't give a shit. So like once I had enough clients that I was paying my rent and I was starting to pay off my student loans a little bit, I stopped caring so much. And then I started getting even more clients because I didn't have that reek of desperation about me. And now I actively like, I actively tell people, no, get away from me. <laughs> like, Hey, can I, uh, I really need the, I need some sessions for that. I go, no, I don't have time for you. Get the fuck away from me. And that makes them want me even more. They're like, Oh, do you have a wait list? Like I'll wait like a month. I'm like, get out of here. <laughs> I don't need you. I'm busy enough. I'm too busy. Yeah. But who knows a month from now, I may be, I may have that reek of desperation on me again, <laughs> begging people to do zoom personal training slash physical therapy sessions like hey you got plantar fasciitis like i'll facetime you i'll facetime you 20 bucks an hour to fix your feet through zoom <laughs> all right i guess that's enough guess what i'm gonna do now fucking video games